Feeling good. I got my got my good news Bible. When I was um, when I was young, so young. You know when you when you write in your Bible your name like forty two times all over the place, like that young. Like this is this is that Bible. I like it because the cover's on it. My other Bible's falling apart, but it feels crazy having that. Super Bowl Sunday. You know what I'm talking about. Marriage. Yeah, Super Bowl Sunday has nothing to do with what we're doing here. Nothing to do. I've been uh, thinking about this, this topic of covenant relationships, and uh, I feel like it's, it's relevant and, uh, and definitely needed. This Bible's already a problem. Um, it's, it's definitely needed. It's, uh, it's something that our culture struggles with. It's something you hear and hear being talked about. And so, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this. Got it. Um, so I want to spend a few minutes just briefly... Just briefly going over, you know, I, I do have the, Tom had the, that's a good pastor joke, Tom. He said it's the living Bible. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Nobody move. But I just want to spend a few minutes talking about marriage, but I want to do it in a little bit of a different way. Um, and I, and, and I, I feel like, um, oh, I need to say this. It's okay if you're not married uh, it's, it's awesome to know this before you get married. Um, but, but just for fun, how many of you are married today? Just a show of hands. Okay. If you're uh, not raising your hand and you are married, I have a good counselor. Um, and then let's do this. If you're single, raise your hand. <clears throat> Valentine's is coming up. You're single. Okay. All right. Keep your hand up. Go ahead and look around. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to help somebody out maybe today. You never know. Never know. Uh, but <clears throat> like I said, this is just good. It's good to know. Um, and uh, I love the topic of marriage because it's very real to me. And um, I always tell people, I thought for some reason that being married was going to be like the easiest thing I've ever done. I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe my mom's here. Maybe, you know, maybe it's her fault. Um, maybe, maybe I learned something in, in college that kind of threw off. But I thought, I'm like, what could possibly go wrong with marriage? It just seems like it's just amazing. Like in my head, I thought, and what I found out, I would add very quickly, was that I was, I was very wrong. It is... Um, Extremely difficult, but it is, it is so worth it. And uh, marriage, marriage, just let's just do one little example. Marriage was so easy for, for me and, and Laura that in our first, I'm pretty confident it was our first, maybe early in our second year, some of you might remember this actually. I got so upset. I did the thing that makes the most sense. I punched a wall. 
right? Like, that's how you handle it. Well done. Um, I punched a wall and broke my hand. You, you might remember this because it was an, it was an epic fail on, at all here. Epic fail. So you might think like just that is like, okay, yeah, that's pretty. Nope, it's not done. I was so embarrassed about it that I got up in front of the church and lied about it. Yeah, I'm not making this up. That was, that was a great, great day in the life of Andy Gibson. And, uh, and then Jesus and I had a talk that week. I would say it was mostly him talking. And uh, the next week, I got back up and I apologized for lying about my embarrassing moment that I handled like a child. Um, thankfully, though, at that time, there were all, I mean, I could name people, but I won't. But there was a lot of guys that said, I've done the same thing. I've done the same. So, uh, so that's, just, that's just one little story about how good I am at being married. Um, and I think we can come up with a story or 37 of a time when marriage was difficult and our actions were not the best, right? And maybe I could even, like, if, if you as a married couple can't come up, maybe I could ask your kids, like, could they come up with something and say, like, you should have been here on the ride, the ride to church? Like that? I don't know what it was about growing up, but that ride to church was like, someone's meeting Jesus. So today I want to I wanna talk on being covenant-keeping in our relationships, specifically our married, marriage relationships. And um, what does that mean? How do we live that out? And so um, I want to I wanna put a couple of verses on the screen. And these are going to be the verses that are just kind of just flooding the whole message today. And let's, let's stand. Let's read this Matthew 19. Three, three through six. It says this, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, him being Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. In verse 6, since they are no longer two but one, I love this part, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You ready to keep reading? The grass withers and the flowers fade. Go ahead. All right, you can sit down. The word of our God endures forever. And so what does it mean to be covenant-keeping in our relationships? And before we get to that, I just want to kind of give you like those type A personalities, what we're, where we're going to go. We're going to look at what it, what, it, what it means to have a casual approach to marriage, what it means to have a contractual approach to marriage, and then we're going to end with what I want to spend most of our time with is this covenantal approach. And 
I really want you to like tune in today. Tune in. This is huge. It goes far beyond marriage, which you'll see. But this is huge. So what's a casual approach to marriage? Because I hear this a lot. You probably hear this a lot. It bugs me a lot. And I got some things to say about it. Are you ready? Somebody? Yes. Thank you to my boss. Okay. The casual approach to marriage, it, it starts with this. It isn't that big of a deal. It isn't that big of a deal. Marriage is just a piece of paper. It doesn't really matter. And whenever we have a casual approach to marriage, it usually leads to a casual approach to sex, right? If you look at someone with a casual approach to sex, it's, it's really nobody's business anyways. right? We're not hurting anyone. Last time I checked, sex feels pretty good. So we might as well do it whenever we want, with whomever we want, because after all, it's really no big deal. Then things escalate. Since marriage isn't that big of a deal and sex isn't that big of a deal, if we love someone or at least like them a lot and it's convenient, we might as well move in together because after all, none of it matters that much. Because if you're kind of with somebody, it's really easy to say, let's just move in together because it's convenient. And, and here comes how we rationalize. We, we can save money. It, it seems to make sense. We're, we're testing things out. You ever heard that one? Now, if, if you're living together, my, my goal isn't to bring shame upon you today, but let's just call it what it is. You, you've made a commitment to someone enough to share an address together. But let's just kind of walk through it. Now, now follow along with me. What, what it could end up meaning, if we really think marriage is no big deal, let's say we're living together, let's say we're, we're going we're gonna to do some things that are typically reserved for married couples. You, you move in with somebody, you put your, your toothbrush in the little holder, you put your clothes in the drawer, you share the bills, you share an address, you might share a meal, leftovers, you might share the bed. Essentially, you do married things even though you're not really married. If things don't work out in this casual approach, if things don't work out, you take your toothbrush, your clothes, your leftovers from dinner, you break up, and you start again with somebody else. And if things work out with them, you might move in with them one day. Then, years from now, you meet that perfect someone. You realize that it's finally that special someone you want to marry. And you do, and then you get married, and suddenly, out of nowhere, things get complicated. She squeezes the toothpaste from the middle. He leaves the toilet seat up. He doesn't pick up his clothes from the floor that he just left there. No elbows right now. 
And, and you can go on and on with fill in the blanks. And so when things get difficult, so many people today say, let's just break it off. Let's just break it off. Let's get a divorce. Why is divorce so common? Because a lot of people have played house, pretended to be married, and practiced divorce on person after person. And so if a marriage is not that big of a deal and sex isn't that big of a deal and we can live with multiple people as we go through life, why would we not end up divorced? This could be a consequence of a casual approach to marriage. Maybe you've had some examples of that. You can relate to that. But then there's also the contractual approach to marriage. And admittedly, if you get married, and I did this, I'm assuming in most states, but I'm pretty, pretty confident in Michigan, you sign a marriage contract, sign a marriage license. At the end, at, at, at the end you put your signature on it, which, I, which is a good thing. The problem with a contract if that's all marriage is, is just a contract, what's a contract based on? A contract is based on mutual distrust. And what do we know about a contract? Well, a contract is, is generally temporary, meaning until you pay up or until a certain amount of time expires. And a contract is almost always to protect the rights of the person signing and to, and to limit their responsibility. So if we enter into marriage and say it's a contract, then as long as you live up to the agreed-upon terms, we have a deal. But if you don't live up to the agreed-upon terms, meaning you call me a name, you betray me in a certain way, or perhaps you don't make me happy, then I feel like since you broke the contract, now I'm bound to the contract, and we'll go our separate ways. There's a casual approach. There's a contractual approach. These, these are so common. These are so common. They're not even viewed as a, as a big deal anymore. I'm in as long as you live up to the agreed-upon terms. But there's a third way, and that's where I want to spend my time this morning. There's a third way. There's a third approach to marriage, and that's the covenantal approach to marriage. A covenantal approach is not based on mutual distrust. It's not based on mutual distrust. It's, it's not temporary it's not temporary. You go back to our verse. No longer two, but one. Two are united into one. That's the original intent of marriage was to be permanently together. That, that God brought them together and they, they cannot be separated. It's not temporary and it's not motivated by selfish preservation. or Instead, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. It's unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love to one another. I talk about sacrificial love almost in every marriage I do. 
let's talk about what a covenant is. Because most of you, how many of you use the word covenant this week? Anybody? So, you know, there's always that one person. I always do. I'm holy. No, okay. You're right. But it's not, it's, not, it's not what we commonly use, right? Like, hey, guys, entered into a covenant this week. Like, I haven't seen that Facebook status yet. But the, the word covenant comes from an Old Testament Hebrew word, berith, and it means a, a cutting, a cutting. When, when you see a covenant established, there's always a shedding of blood. There's always a shedding of blood in the Old Testament. If two people were to enter into a covenant, there would often be a, sh- a shedding of blood of a bull or maybe seven lambs. They would kill the bull. This is not disgusting at all. Cut the bull in half. Might be gross, but hang on. And this is what they'd do. They'd, they'd, there'd be half of a bull and half of a bull, and then two people would walk around the bull, both of them seven times, and essentially saying, what happened to the bull should happen to me if I don't live up to my oath. This is a covenant, a shedding of blood, giving my, my word that this is a commitment that I will stick by. And if you go to the Old Testament Hebrew wedding, what you would see is you'd see a powerful covenant ceremony. Our marriages have changed a little bit. A little bit. Occasionally, what the priest would do is ask for the hand of both the groom and the bride, which um, I wonder if you've ever done this for as long as you've been doing weddings. I just wonder... I might start. This sounds fun. Okay. The, the priest would, would take the hand of the groom and the bride and occasionally take a knife. Now we're listening, right? That's the wedding I want to go to. And he'd cut or nick the hand of the groom and the hand of the bride so that the, the blood would emerge from their hands, a shedding of blood. And then the priest would join the bride the groom hands together so that the, the blood would mingle. And this was s- signifying that what Leviticus says, the life of a person is in the blood. We're exchanging life. Then the priest would bind their hands together, showing outwardly that the two are in the process of becoming one. Does that sound, have you done that before? If anybody wants to renew their vows... Maybe, okay. Then, after that, they would share their, their covenant vows, both before family and friends and before God. And then what the couple would do is they would depart for a time. They would go to a place called a, a chupa. Everybody say chupa. Okay, the chupa was like a bridal suite. It was kind of like a honeymoon room. And, I, and, and the couple would leave the wedding ceremony and everyone else would wait while they go to the chupa. And in the chupa, they would chupa. <laughs> and, and in theory, <clears throat> those were the people that just got it. And in theory, the, the virgin groom would enter the virgin 
right? And there would be a shedding of blood. And, and physically, they would become one flesh, representing what has happened in the spirit. Then, oh, you're still at the wedding right now. Once they've sealed their holy covenant, they would come back to the party that was waiting for them. Like if you had to define awkward. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't even. Oh. What I hope you'll understand, what I hope you understand and you'll embrace and, and take to heart is the truth that marriage matters to God. And marriage should matter to us. And so does the gift of lovemaking, which is a gift from God to his children. And in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by who? All. all. And the marriage bed kept pure. Is that part of that verse? And marriage should be honored by all. What does all mean? All of you deep theologians who study the Greek and Hebrew. In Greek, all means all. All. <laughs> You're welcome. It means if you're a kid, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're a teenager with raging hormones, you honor the covenant of marriage. I'm not done. If you're 22 and single and you still have needs, you're, you honor the covenant of marriage. Okay, he's, he'll stop in the, at the 20, right? Those, yeah. If you're 31, waiting, dating, and you have the deep desire for mating, you honor the covenant of marriage. It's all, right? Let's keep going. If you're 47 and divorced, the marriage bed should be kept pure. Because marriage matters to God. And that's why I believe the way we talk about sex in the church, it needs to change. I think it leads to shame. Because so often the message to kids is no, 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 no. No. And instead of telling our kids no, what we we say is, wait, wait, because something holy is coming. Something God-honoring is coming. Something special is coming. Now, for those of you that are saying nothing but yes, 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 yes right now, and you suddenly feel a touch of conviction, what, what do you do with it? What do you do if you're, if you're not married or if you're, you're living a, a lust-filled life? Well, the good news is Christ makes us new. In Christ, our past is forgiven. And you can decide from this moment forward. I will honor the covenant 
of marriage. The marriage bed should be kept pure. The choice is yours. You, you choose. What, what do you want to be? I, I want to choose to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered in our marriages. There's a big difference between calling yourself a Christian and being centered around Christ. Because we are covenant-keeping. This isn't a casual approach. It's not just a contract. It's so much more. I hope you can see this. And some of you might say, well, it's easy for you, Andy. You married Laura. You married Laura. You have no idea how bad my marriage is. And I I just want to say, if... If that's you. I know for some people, it's incredibly complicated. I know that some of you are dealing with massive betrayals. Hurts beyond measure. There's dysfunction. There's pain. And I just want to acknowledge that it's, it's complicated. My marriage is complicated too. You're not alone. We have our stuff. We have our things. Our marriage is as good as we want it to be. Listen to, this, to the words here. Our marriage is as good as we want it to be. Our marriage is good as we, not me, not her, but we choose it to be. And sometimes we don't feel like being loving. We don't feel like being forgiving. We don't feel like working on it. We may not feel like expressing love and being Christ-centered. That doesn't work in any other context. If you don't feel like paying your bills, you still have to. You don't feel like going to work. Many of us think that when we go to God, it's, it's a casual deal with God. I do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. He's going to forgive me anyways. And some people, though, they they think it's a contractual approach to God. If I live up to my part, it's already off to a bad start, right? If I I live up to my part, then he'll live up to his. And the problem is, we don't always live up to ours. So we're afraid to go to him for his, because we don't feel like we're worthy. Because we contractually didn't do what we're supposed to do. And the truth about God is not casual. It's not casual. It's not contractual. It's a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. Old covenant, I'm praising you, come up. They, they would take a lamb. Check this out. The Old Testament, they would take a lamb once a year and sacrifice the lamb. 
The blood from the lamb would flow into a bucket. They would take a sponge, dip, the, dip it into the blood, and put the blood on the doorposts. You know this. And on both sides of the doorposts. And when they would do that, the, the death angel would pass by. Because the home was covered with the blood of the lamb. And what's so amazing to think is you put blood on the top of a doorpost, on the sides. What would happen to the blood on the top? It would drip to the bottom. And there in the Old Testament, you have a, a little foreshadow, a little sneak peek of the New Testament cross of Jesus. In the Old Covenant, it was temporary. Now, now we have the New Covenant. The New Covenant. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The, the, the breath, the, the cutting. So that because of his gift, because of his resurrection, whoever calls upon him will be forgiven, will be made new. It's the new covenant. And here's the great news. Don't miss this. Even if we are faithless, Scripture says our God remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. It's a covenant. Our relationship will be as good as we choose for them to be. We choose to honor God. He will always, he will always be faithful to us. He's, he's, he's always good on his promises. Think about it. Jesus perfectly succeeded at every point. Humans failed. And if, if you were to Get your Bible, that your slippery Bible from here, and go to Hebrews 7.22 or 9.15. You see that this makes Jesus the guarantee of the new covenant. The guarantee of the new covenant. In the new covenant, we get total forgiveness of sins and cleansing from shame. We get new hearts of flesh and an indwelling spirit causing us to love God's word. Walk in his ways. And we can walk in freedom and light rather than sin and darkness. It's this new covenant that is so powerful. It's so powerful. I want to invite you to get your cup out this morning. If you're on Facebook, if you have something at home, Let's pray for the bread. Let's pray for the cup. And once we get to the words of communion, I want you to listen. They're, they're not my words. They're not my words. I, I, I read the Bible every time we do communion, word for word. And I want you to listen to it. God, we thank you for the moments we have to share Individually, corporately, with family, with friends, 
to share in remembering what you've done for each one of us. And so we do ask that you bless this bread, this cup, in a powerful way. That we open our eyes to the love you have for us through Jesus. Thank you for being a God that is so crazy about us. You sent your son to shed his blood, to die on the cross. Forgive us of our sins. God, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. Continue to reveal yourself to us in a new and fresh way, even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can peel back that first, that first layer and grab the bread. As I said, this is, this is from 1 Corinthians. This is Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then you can peel back your cup. I was overwhelmed this week as I as I think about as I think about what Jesus has done. It, it overwhelms me. Sometimes I get caught up in my own selfishness. But it, it blows my mind all throughout Scripture. Everything points to Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And this is what he said. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood <laughs> in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me and maybe just maybe you're here today. Because it's time to trust Jesus with this new covenant. And I hope you'll recognize the amazing truth that we're not made right with God by our own works. It's only by the grace of God and faith in the perfect work 
of his son. And when you call on the name of Jesus, he forgives every sin you committed. Last night, last year. And you're not just like a a better version of you, you're new, you're different. The old is gone, the new has come. That's exciting to me. And I'm thankful that all throughout Scripture, it's consistent. He's faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His promises. He's never broken one. Let's stand. I asked the praise team to do this chorus, which, which you've heard today. All his promises have been fulfilled. covenant. Marriage matters to God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the moments we share. Thank you for your word, for how it every single time 
speaks directly into our life, into our heart. Allow us to see your goodness today like never before. We thank you for being a good God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.